Welcome to episode 4 of The Everyday Queer. This is a podcast about shared experiences and all things queer. If you're tuning in for the first time, welcome to The Everyday Queer, and I hope you like it here. And to those of you who are returning, you know the vibes. I appreciate you so much. Um, I've been reading your reviews and I'm really glad that everyone appreciates the show in different ways. It makes me really happy that you find value in the show. Trigger warning, this episode will include discussions around topics which fall under intimate partner violence, which may potentially lead to discomfort for those of you who have experienced corresponding traumas in their own lives. On today's episode, I will be mainly talking about violence within the LGBTQ community and this is because it isn't spoken about in the broader society when addressing issues around intimate partner violence and domestic abuse. And I want to bring attention to this issue and some sort of understanding of what intimate partner violence is in the LGBTQ plus community. So firstly, I will be giving a young breakdown of what intimate partner violence is. And then I will be talking about why it matters that we talk about this. Thereafter, I will be mentioning the various barriers that LGBTQ plus people are met with when they seek out support services after experiencing intimate partner violence. And then I'll list the ways in which you can possibly support a friend or family member who might be experiencing intimate partner violence or who is currently experiencing it. In the previous episodes, I spoke about safe spaces and how it is important that allies create safe spaces for LGBTQ plus individuals. Sometimes in these spaces that we feel very comfortable in and the spaces that we are meant to feel safe in, the spaces where it's just you and your tribe, you know, it sucks when people who you trust turn around and inflict pain where you are meant to feel the safest on top of what you are currently experiencing from the broader society. It really sucks when that happens. There's this assumption that, you know, queer people and queer relationships are somehow free of violence. And, you know, there's this perfect relationship. It's always soft and lovely and beautiful, which is a false illusion because we do get relationships that are really bad and violent um, as much as we do get those kind of relationships in cishet relationships and you have your good relationships or healthy relationships in both the LGBTQ plus community and in the heterosexual population. And I think sometimes, especially in lesbian relationships, there's this particular assumption that women in particular can't inflict physical and sexual violence on their partners and they can't be abusive which is, which is false because these things do happen and they happen in all kinds of relationships, be it, you know, same-sex relationships, relationships where there's a transgender person, 
you know, all kinds of relationships. So there's this silence from within the community around intimate partner violence um, in LGBTQ plus relationships. And this very historic silence helps keep this type of violence invisible. And I think we need to engage in conversations around this, this issue. And I hope to create an awareness and understanding on what intimate partner violence looks like in LGBTQ plus relationships and within the community, because, you know, this affects people psychologically, um, socially, emotionally, you name it, the same way it affects cis-hit individuals who are victims of this kind of violence. The same happens to LGBTQ plus people. So I will say that I am aware that most, you know, studies on intimate partner violence often lack the nuances that are there on the complexities of the violence um, and how they they don't see how it, they need to take account of sexual orient of the sexual orientation of both victims and the perpetrator. So because it's a complex and delicate topic, I'll try to get as close to that as possible where I, you know, highlight that sexual orientation of both the victim and the perpetrator are the things that need to be taken account of. And maybe at a later stage, I can have this discussion with someone and we can explain this in depth and, you know, I can have someone share their experience and hopefully that will help, you know, push this narrative of breaking the silence a bit forward and I'll discuss why this is important. Why does it matter that we talk about intimate partner violence in the LGBTQ plus community? But first before I get into that, I want to define or break down um, what intimate partner violence is. So, you know, the World Health Organization, WHO, um, 2012 gives us a nice and inclusive definition of what it is. So according to WHO, intimate partner violence is considered any kind of behavior between a dyad that involves acts of physical and sexual violence, emotional and psychological abuse, and controlling behavior. It's, it's inclusive to use intimate partner violence because we need to avoid this kind of idea that this type of violence can only occur in heterosexual relationships. So what I'm trying to say is that intimate partner violence can be enacted by anyone with no regard to their sexual orientation, age, or marital status, and it's not limited to heterosexual relationships. And this is important because when people think of intimate partner violence, they think, ah, oh, specific, they think immediate and obvious power. And I just want to clarify that intimate partner violence is about power and control dynamics and not about the other person's strength or gender it's about power and using specific tactics against the other person. So generally, it would be use of bodily forms of violence, such as 
physical and sexual violence. They could use psychological and specific social strategies, such as coercion, threats, intimidation, emotional abuse, economic abuse, isolation. And if they have kids together, um, they could use children to manipulate the other person. And there's also minimization and denial. So in LGBTQ relationships, they are unique and specific tactics that are often used in addition to this to exert power and control over the other person. And these are usually driven and reinforced by societal oppression, which is currently experienced by the LGBTQ plus person who is being violated. So for instance, they would use um, homophobia, transphobia, biphobia to basically exert power and control over the other person. So by using tactics such as threatening to disclose the other person's sexual orientation if they are closeted and if they are trans, they refuse to use someone's self-identified gender pronouns, which could like basically cause a lot of psychological and emotional harm. And oftentimes abusers use a person's minority status to intimidate them. And an example of this would be telling the person that no one's going to believe them. No one's going to believe them if they report because they are a sexual minority. So why are we talking about this? Why am I talking about intimate partner violence within the LGBTQ plus community? Um, I'm trying to bring attention to this because there's a lack of information out there on, you know, the prevalence of intimate partner violence within the LGBTQ communities and within um, LGBTQ plus relationships. Most of the global research, um, which is mainly from the Western countries at the moment, states that intimate partner violence rates in LGBTQ plus communities are similar to those which are recorded in heterosexual populations. And they have stats to show how they are similar and how they compare. And some have shown that in some cases, they are higher than the heterosexual population's um, rates, which is, which is quite alarming considering the high rates of documented um, intimate partner violence and femicide in in the heterosexual population in our country. So you can only imagine the stats of intimate partner violence in the South African LGBTQ plus population. You know, I want to talk about this because we exist in a heteronormative society that's intolerant of LGBTQ plus people. And, you know, this occurs in the social and structural level, which which definitely creates vulnerabilities for intimate partner violence that is not experienced by cishet people, which is unique to the LGBTQ plus community. And, you know, there are health implications attached to that. So I think it's quite important because there are serious uh, psychosocial health implications for the victims. And we're also talking about this because there's this historical silence that exists around the violence in the LGBTQ plus community. And this common fear that talking about these things 
will take away from the fight against, you know, anti-LGBTQ plus violence and marginalization. And this fear that it may might be used to further marginalize us. I think that it, we shouldn't lean too much on that because it doesn't mean that we shouldn't have these discussions by ourselves also and that we shouldn't make sure that this issue is addressed and also on top of that featured in public anti-violence messaging, you know, in the broader society. As much as, you know, there are these fears, I think we need to do it because people should be able to openly discuss their experiences and, you know, perpetrators must be held accountable. There needs to be some sort of healing and that healing can only occur if we are open about this kind of abuse so that there could be like advocacy for people who are hurting over this like as a community we need to talk about what our community's unique needs are when it comes to preventing this kind of violence and you know supporting and caring for survivors Now I will discuss the barriers that LGBTQ plus people are met with when they are seeking out support services. These are going to be barriers that survivors of intimate partner violence face um, when they're trying to access support. So LGBTQ plus individuals may experience unique forms of intimate partner violence and they can experience specific barriers to seeking help due to, you know, the overarching um, and general discrimination and bias against LGBTQ plus people. So on the personal level, LGBTQ plus individuals and especially, you know, bisexual women and lesbian women might find it quite difficult to name the violence that they experience in their intimate relationships. And this is because, you know, people don't see women as being capable of violence and that's really misleading it's really misleading and we need to understand that anyone could be capable of violence and in some cases people might not speak up because they've experienced physical or psychological trauma like bullying and hate crimes which basically make LGBTQ plus victims of intimate partner violence less likely to go and seek help. Or at times, the incident that occurs is perceived to be too minor to go and report and seek support. And at times, violence might be downplayed because of that fear and concern of exacerbating you know, the stigma that's already there that LGBTQ plus people and their relationships are often, you know, subjected to. It creates this reluctance to like speak up and fuels this fear that talking about this and reporting it or seeking for support might give homophobic people, you know, ammunition to like use this for further marginalization and fuel their homophobia. In other cases, people might not say anything because they fear that talking about intimate partner violence um, that's perpetuated within the LGBTQ plus community might take away from the goal 
or the attention or resources provided to address hate crimes and acts of violence committed against LGBTQ plus people. Another barrier would be service providers. When they report, people are often met with, you know, ineffective and victimizing responses from people who are meant to support them, listen to them, and assist them. The LGBTQ survivor of intimate partner violence might be fearful that a non-LGBTQ plus individual who is a service provider might lack the specific knowledge that is required um, of them to have on LGBTQ plus communities in general and LGBTQ plus intimate partner violence and they won't be able to provide adequate support or effective support. So there, there are often low levels of confidence around, you know, the effectiveness of the legal system in helping LGBTQ plus people. And at oftentimes this happens because people have this misconception that this type of violence can't exist in queer relationships and these service providers, specifically the police, might, you know, reduce intimate partner violence that is being reported to a mutual fighting situation or some sort of catfight. It's not taken seriously because it's coming from an LGBTQ plus person. The discrimination around LGBTQ plus identities often make people very hesitant to go seek help. And at times, people are denied services because of their sexual orientation or gender identity. Sometimes people get assaulted by the facility staff itself. And sometimes when LGBTQ plus people seek help from, you know, gender, especially lesbian women, when they seek help from gender-based violence organizations like women shelters, they're often met with ignorance and sometimes ridicule and hostility. So it's, it, it becomes really tough to report these things. And, and another barrier on top of that would be inadequate resources, which are, you know, directly there to support intimate partner violence victims, especially in our country. There's a lack of visibility and representation of LGBTQ plus issues. And most survivors are unaware of LGBTQ plus friendly assistance resources. Most people are more likely to seek out informal help rather than also look for formal sources of help. And at times they confide in their friends and tell their friends of what happened. At the same time, there are fears with regards to seeking help from friends um, because they think that they might not be believed and that the information that they share might not be kept confidential. Okay, so now I will discuss the ways or list the ways in which you can possibly support a friend or family member who might be experiencing intimate partner violence. We all know that, you know, many crimes against historically marginalized communities are usually underreported and there is usually a lack of access to 
safe and affirming support services and most of the time people will share the experiences of intimate partner violence or any kind of violence with their friends and how that is received and how you as a friend receives and react to that kind of disclosure is very important so lgbtq plus survivors of violence need a lot of support that all kinds of you know survivors need they need you know safety compassion and specifically and most importantly they need to be believed you need to believe them and tell them that you believe them you need to be there and let the person know that you are there for them no matter what and keep an open communication to ensure that they can contact you and that shows that you support them um in addition to that try not to be judgmental or get frustrated when the person tells you that they're not ready to leave whatever situation that they are in and you need to note that discussions around leaving um needs to come from the individual so you just need to be there to support that person with their choices and not judge them for them also it's important to reassure the other person that what they experienced is not their fault and that they're not to blame for it no one deserves to be treated the way that they've been treated and on top of that keep their disclosure confidential and don't put pressure on them to give you more information than than what they've already shared with you what you can do is also get support and find out what available resources are there which you can share with your friend and you know encourage them to access that kind of support which is available and provide them with emergency numbers and details of organizations that you think might help also there are a number of organizations um in the country that offer support and counseling to lgbtq plus people specifically and even issues about intimate partnerships could be discussed in those settings there are only like two organizations that i can currently think of um which would directly assist in this with this specific issue these are the triangle project and out lgbt wellbeing if you have any more resources that you are aware of um please feel free to leave me a message on anchor you can find the link under the details of the episode if you're listening on apple podcasts and you can just send me you know the links there and if i missed anything please do let me know the key messages for this week's episode are that intimate partner violence can happen to anyone um and this is regardless of their gender sexual orientation or gender identity intimate partner violence is a form of violence that can be enacted by both men and women with no regards to age marital status or sexual orientation another key message would be that intimate partner violence in LGBTQ+ communities 
occurs at rates that are comparable to those that are documented um, amongst um, heterosexual populations. And usually they do result in similar detrimental, emotional, psychological, and, you know, physical consequences for victims. What we also need to remember is that intimate partner violence is more about power and control dynamics and talking about intimate partner violence in the LGBTQ plus community does not take away from the larger issues and the other types of violences that are enacted upon LGBTQ plus individuals by the dominant population. On next week's episode, I will be talking about or rather answering whether being friends with your ex is a great idea so i'll be giving you a little story time on my own experiences and explain the different ways in which it can work and the factors that affect how it pans out Don't miss the action and, you know, please don't forget to subscribe on whichever platform that you're listening on so that you can get notifications. And don't forget to show the show some love by rating and reviewing The Everyday Queer on Apple Podcasts. Your ratings and reviews help the show reach more people who might also appreciate um, the show as much as you do. So please do keep them coming. And that brings us to the end of episode four. Thank you for listening and I will catch you same time next week.